0: Do you lie awake and ponder ponds of microscopic life? Expose yourself to exoplanets high up in the night? Are you crazed for kinematics? Do you fantasize of, of fauna? Everybody's got a question, luckily we're gonna Unpack the stack of facts that you think back to every day Attack your ignorance, you'll be unmatched in every way Sit down and lend an ear, all the answers will be clear I'm running out of rhymes, I'll let the host take it from here
1: Okay, Nick, what do you know about vines?
0: Are we talking the dead internet video platform or are we talking actual in the dirt growing vines?
1: Well, I was talking about literal vines, but rest in peace vine.
0: Honestly, I know next to nothing about both of those. I shut myself up from vine in the same way that TikTok scares me.
1: TikTok's really fun. I I can't.
0: I bet you can learn about actual vines on TikTok.
1: You can. Uh, Plant TikTok is actually a thing. Uh, I got into it for a while and, and I learned how to care for lots of different kinds of plants through there. They've got good tutorials on like soil types and like amounts of sun to give the different herb plants, things like that. So
0: you're saying that plant TikTok got into vine?
1: Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: but What I was referring to was kudzu, which is considered the world's scariest vine in the American South.
0: I thought that was, it's your boy.
1: Nick, I don't know what that means. That was
0: a vine. He was a viner.
1: I, I only watch the compilations on YouTube, so I'm up. not going to be super helpful. Um, well,
0: I guess unlike it's your boy, kudzu is probably still a problem we're facing.
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting problem. It's a completely self-created problem.
0: Okay, what happened?
1: So there was it was an invasive vine that was deliberately planted to try to save topsoil mm-hmm. in the South like during the Dust Bowl era. Mm-hmm. So obviously, dust was flying. They what? Were saying, Yeah, I know. Um, And so there was this large information campaign from the Soil Conservation Science. Mm -hmm. They, They were encouraging farmers to plant this vine, and they would pay farmers to plant it all over the American South.
0: With I'm assuming the pitch was, this vine will like help your land be even more fertile than ever.
1: They actually referred to the healing touch of the miracle vine.
0: Oh, boy. That sounds super huckstery and kind of snake oil salesman already.
1: Yeah, and they tried to kind of create this like culture cults around the Vine, where Uh it's uh, this same radio host that referred to the healing touch of the Miracle Vine, Channing Cope. He started the Kudzu Club of America, In the 1940s, there were festivals, like regional festivals dedicated to it, oh, God. where they would have kudzu queens. Like they would do like the...
0: Oh, like, like pageantry stuff? Yes. They had their dresses and like they're all wrapped up in like vine outfits, I hope. During the
1: vine festival. Oh, yep. Lord. And there were also, no, also regional planting contests, like uh-huh. see who would plant more of it kind of thing, sure. like who was more successful. And... The, the
0: world's biggest vine or whatever. Yeah, okay. exactly,
1: exactly. Um, so, it, but it's also not a useful crop. At, at all. Like, none of, none of, none of, no farm animals eat it. Wait,
0: but this commission said it was really important and useful.
1: Right, but it's actually not. So by the 1950s, they started to backpedal on the campaign, like, really quickly once uh-huh. they realized it was invasive. Okay. And it kind of took on a life of its own, both metaphorically and literally, Um, so it was growing a little bit out of control, but the reality is that most of it got immediately rooted out as soon as farmers realized they didn't have to, they weren't making money planting it anymore. So farmers were
0: on top of it more than the government was in this situation.
1: Exactly. So farmers quickly, they were like, yeah, this plant is kind of useless, but they're paying us to plant it. So sure, we'll plant your stupid vine. And they were like, oh, you're not going to pay us anymore? Rip it all out. Rip it all out right now. (laughs) Um, But by then, it had kind of taken on this mythos Mm -hmm. through, like, modern American literature, where they would describe it as, like, a monster vine that would eat your house and kill your family.
0: Okay. So that, I'm assuming that's probably where we get some of those, like, from old stories, any sort of, like, vine that's crushing the house or going...
1: That's the vine they're talking about.
0: Really? Yes. Okay.
1: Like, it's like a full generation of Southern writers described it as this terrifying, creeping vine that would engulf all of the South.
0: So this was this was like their generation's quicksand, where just every every kid from like the nineteen fifties onwards sort of was like, well, there's a vine that's that's gonna come out and get me, and in all the books I read as a lad, there's all these vines chasing after us, and now they're just sort of stuck in the the boring reality where there's no vines and there's no quicksand, and John Mulaney is the only one smart enough to point this out.
1: Yes, exactly. That's pretty much it. Yeah, but there's I remember. I was reading an article about this, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the novel, mm. where they described a poem where the kudzu would creep up from the ground and crawl into the windows overnight. Like it grew so uh-huh. fast that it would crawl, engulf your house, get into your windows, and like break all your stuff. Basically. That would be a
0: good Edgar Allen Poe poem, in fairness.
1: I think it was some kind of like- Someone like that? Gothic poet from the, I don't remember the name of the- There's poet. a lot, I mean, there's a
0: lot you can pull on. I mean. Yeah, like you said, just that the creeping image of vines like enclosing on your house. There's no. Yeah. yeah. You could do a modern reboot of that. I'd watch that. It's
1: basically a Poison Ivy movie if you think about it. Oh
0: my God. All right. Well, cut this podcast. All of this is out. We can't do this anymore. This has become our Poison Ivy podcast script. We're going to have to shut this off. But I guess before we shut it off, we should probably introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Nick Lumber. <laughs> I'm
1: Ellie Weiss. <laughs>
0: We're getting more professional about it. we're slowly figuring we're, out we're
1: slowly remembering that we're supposed mm-hmm. to introduce ourselves oh and the name of the podcast the of the is pod- an everyday dissection yes i, I think mean we, we've got all the basic info in there now they're
0: listening we don't we don't need to say the name of the podcast in the podcast we need to say the name of the podcast in media talking about the podcast that's the part we're really bad at now
1: we're, well yeah we're not great at all we're, of the we're
0: growing we're working on it much like these vines that were an invasive species. Oh. <laughs> So why why are we talking about invasive species today? Is there some sort of uh, special connection you might have, uh, a particular interest, a vested interest you have?
1: Yeah, I feel like I should list my conflict of interest now that I study Great Lakes invasive species. Specifically, sure. I study the invasive species that we're talking about today.
0: So, like, yeah, let's get that sort of general bias, come, like, out of the way.
1: General bias out of the way. I study sea lamprey, and we're going to talk about sea lamprey today.
0: And so, this is obviously something you care a lot about, and have, have studied for how many years now?
1: Um, this is my 4th year doing research at MSU. That's so
0: long. That's too Most much. Most of
1: that I've been doing in working on invasive species. That's
0: way too much time for one person to talk about lamprey. I'm sorry.
1: Well, only 2 of those years have been about oh, lamprey. thank
0: god. That's just enough time to talk about lamprey then.
1: <laughs> I'm on my last year of talking about lamprey, I think.
0: Okay. So, what I guess we should probably set like a definition for what invasive species would in what it what is the definition of an invasive species let's sort of lay that out that's
1: actually a great question because there's kind of two parts to Mm -hmm. being an invasive species it's a species that isn't native to the the environment where it ends up in Mm -hmm. so but the additional component to that is that they have to establish themselves and then explode as a population Mm -hmm. so there's plenty of non-native species that aren't considered invasive like they just get here and they just kind of hang out.
0: Oh, so because they don't like immediately blow up in in the population, they're just sort of considered a new species in a way?
1: Yeah, so basically if they they take root and just kind of assimilate into the environment, mm-hmm. they're not considered an invasive species. They need to start taking over the environment Got it. and become detrimental to the native species that are there. So think about it like colonialism <laughs> versus like going somewhere for vacation. <laughs>
0: I was in my mind. I was picturing the Bart goes to Australia episode of The Simpsons, where they have Have you seen that one?
1: No, the, I don't. I don't watch a lot of The Simpsons. Naked. <laughs> there's
0: there's a dumb subplot where Bart has to go to Australia because he he called a he did a prank call on a kid there, and he has to apologize. Yes, of course. And okay. a, the subtle joke in the episode is he sneaks a a frog into his pocket because it's like his pet, but he loses it almost immediately.
1: Oh, so that's why the invasive frogs come to.
0: So you've seen the end of the episode No, where the... no,
1: there's actually invasive frogs in Australia and New oh. Zealand that are like a really big problem. and that's... So you're
0: telling me that the Simpsons were making a real-life joke, probably.
1: Yes, that was a reference to a really bad invasive species <laughs> in that part of the world where there's just like frogs everywhere.
0: Cool, so now that episode is even funnier to me, and I already loved it. So yeah, they, they the episode literally ends with they're trying to escape from the American embassy, and the only thing that can save them is the army of frogs that Bart has accidentally introduced
1: into, yes. yes. It's the, they have, I, I do think it's actually the American bullfrog that yeah. is in there. So they've got these big frogs. Is that what they talk about at this? I they think call so, the yeah, Simpsons. yeah, yeah. I think that's actually the name of the invasive species. I'm not so, well enough researched. So Simpsons sure. either
0: predicted another one or was lampooning this.
1: I think.
0: I, I want to, I don't want to look this up in the middle of recording. So we're just going to say the Simpsons got another prediction.
1: I think it's the other way around, but I, it's But fine, I want to believe. Um. So yeah, so that's the important part. There's kind of a two part definition mm-hmm. to the invasive species. Is not only do they have to be non native to the area, but they have to be actively detrimental mm-hmm. to the area. Okay.
0: So you've been studying lamprey specifically in in the Great Lakes region. What what have you noticed about like? They, do you know when they sort of were first introduced to the Great Lakes? Okay. <laughs> I hope that got picked up. <laughs> oh my god. Wow.
1: Okay. Everything. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I actually wrote this down just in case so I don't end up, like, saying the wrong decades. I've written this down several times, but... So basically... I'm not sure exactly when Lamprey got to Lake Ontario, but Mm -hmm. they came in through the St. Lawrence Canal, or the St. Lawrence River, and just kind of slowly worked their way down. So they've probably been in Lake Ontario for way longer than the rest of the Great Lakes.
0: I love the St. Lawrence River. It's really disappointing to hear you slander it, but go on. I'm not
1: slandering it. It was just a pathway to one of the biggest invasive species crises that we've had in the Great Lakes um, in recent memory.
0: Okay, mad shit talking about the St. Lawrence River. Love the Thousand Islands, go on. (laughs)
1: So basically, there was an expansion of the Welland Canal in the 1920s and Mm -hmm. 30s that connected Lake Ontario to the rest of the Great Lakes. Okay, all right. So then the lamprey were able to spread to the rest of the Great Lakes.
0: So the lamprey was already in the St. Lawrence River. Yes. Okay, all right. So the
1: sea lamprey are originally from the ocean.
0: Mm -hmm. But they were because of...
1: They acclimated to, instead of being in the ocean and then spawning in tributaries that are coastal, Mm -hmm. they... Instead, we'll now go and feed on lake fish and then go into our small. It. to it. Okay. Yeah. So if you think about the Great Lakes like small oceans, that's how the sea lamprey were thinking about this. Yeah,
0: they got it got connected from Lake Ontario through St. Lawrence to like the main bodies of ocean water. Right.
1: And I'm okay. not, I am definitely not sure exactly how they ended up like getting all the way down the river until it's, that's its like its own, I'm-
0: St. Lawrence River is like a huge river if you've never been on it. So I, It's it,
1: huge. And yeah. I'm assuming that the lamprey probably had some help somehow to mm, get sure. down the river I'm assuming we can still solidly blame humans for all. I was of this. going to say.
0: I know the St. Lawrence River. Uh, I guess somewhat disclosure. My parents and both sets of grandparents grew up around the upstate New York area, so I am somewhat familiar with some of this. And I know the St. Lawrence River was a major pathway in like the early Industrial Revolution, just because it was like the largest body of water to kind of ship yeah. places.
1: I also know that they added like several like dams and sets of docks yes. that oh, increased yeah. the connectivity of the river. Really, really cool
0: too. I'm not super into going to dams and stuff as like a vacation spot, but honestly one of the more interesting places I like visited was just seeing all these different canals and stuff.
1: Yeah. So basically as we expanded the canals and slowly connected the ocean to the Great Lakes. The
0: fish just probably sort of got fed in and just...
1: Yeah. So basically as we were increasing the connectivity of the system, I'm not as familiar with the history of Mm -hmm. like pre-Lake Ontario. Right, right. The story that we tell as lamprey scientists is when the Welland Canal was expanded... That's when lamprey got into all okay. five of the Great Lakes. It took about twenty years for them to get to the Welland Canal to like Lake Superior and Lake Michigan. to sort of the furthest away. It, it
0: can probably be assumed that they just like followed the pathways and the canals and stuff that the boats and other humans were using. Yeah. Just, so
1: basically, what lamprey do is they hitch a ride on other fish so as they're, they're probably, eating them. So
0: they're probably hitching a ride onto the boats and stuff, and they just got carried. Not, not
1: on the boats, probably like literal oh, literally. literally
0: on the. Oh, oh, so fish that we are probably you, fishing in the river, even. So
1: just literally like the fish mm-hmm. swimming. As they connected, got it. the lamprey just hitched a ride.
0: Got it. Because so,
1: well. the reason lamprey are detrimental and the reason that they're a big problem is that they eat blood. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So if anyone's seen a picture of a lamprey, they're basically like a sarlock pit with a tail. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they also have a knife tongue.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. For real?
1: Yes, that's how they make the wound. So the the teeth are just for latching onto the fish. Okay. It's like a scratchy suction cup. Okay. And then they have a knife. uh, The best way to describe it is a knife tongue.
0: Have you, like, touched one?
1: I have. I've had one on my arm.
0: Is it sharp? Oh wait, like in a like a live one.
1: Yes, like a live one. stick it's like a right. It's like a rite of passage. Sure, thing. I'm sure. Like they. Rite of they,
0: passage.
1: Oh yeah, I I brought my my undergrad into the lab next door that had live lamprey specifically so she could stick one on her arm.
0: Hold on, are you saying there's like pledges and stuff you have to do?
1: It's not official. It's just kind of like at some point, if you work with lamprey for long enough, you're gonna end up with one on your arm. <laughs> Um, my friend has a picture of one that she stuck to her head on accident. Oh so there's just like a lamprey coming off of her head. Yeah, it's like a Wait. whole thing.
0: On accident.
1: Yes. They're okay. very slippery and so and they <laughs> and they'll stick to anything. So if it was close enough to her head, I don't remember she had it very close to her head and it just like decided to stick. Um they right. don't
0: were you there? Did you see? I was not. Okay, uh, this is a secondhand
1: okay. of a secondhand story, so I don't Damn. have like a good, I can't give you like the full sequence of events, but I've definitely seen pictures.
0: What I'm hearing is we need a part two where we invite your friend on. <laughs> I have I have so many questions.
1: Actually, two friends. Two, two separate fine. people have ended up with <laughs> lamprey right on their heads. My, I, so oh. what happened to me is there was a, a tub of them in the lab. Okay. And so me and my undergraduate, we went to go see them. Mm-hmm. And they asked... My undergraduate, if she could, if they, she wanted to put one on her arm, and she was like, "Oh yeah, sure." So she rolls up her sleeve, and they pull one out with like the big gloves, Mm -hmm. and it was so slippery that it shot out of this guy's hands and stuck to the ground. Oh okay. Because it's like a, it's like they basically have like a suction cup for a mouse, so just just stuck to the ground, and then started wapping its tail all over the place, which made it look like it was swimming in the air, and it shot forward on the ground like it was swimming.
0: Oh my god
1: it was hilarious and the, the look on the the text face he was like no 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 no!" and started chasing this lamprey across does, the lab as it went Phew!
0: does that fuck with the sample at all is it is it bad now can you I mean, can you still use it
1: I, we weren't we weren't doing anything okay it. so it was, this was an adult study i work with the i work with larvae okay um so yeah we haven't dropped any of our larvae because they come to our lab dead i guess um. that's <laughs> nice.
0: one so, less thing to worry about
1: yeah oh yeah but yeah, so that's, like, a pretty normal thing. If you work with mm-hmm. lamprey, you're probably going to end up with one on your arm at some point.
0: So how how sharp is the tongue? That's that's kind of my...
1: Well, it's a, it's enough that it can bore a hole through fish scales.
0: But not, it's like, not, oh, through fish scales. Yes. So, so can it, like, latch on and dig deep into the human skin?
1: Yes, but it doesn't. So okay. they can tell the difference between, like, a fish and everything else.
0: Interesting. So, so it, they, it...
1: Won't, they won't, unless you leave the lamprey on your skin for a really long time, Mm -hmm. it won't try to make a wound in you.
0: I guess, well, I guess that's nice. So it's
1: literally, it literally feels like a scratchy suction cup.
0: Oh, that doesn't, still doesn't sound fun. I'm, not, I'm sure you're used to it if you're I'm, doing it I'm enough. not.
1: It's, I, okay. It was like one of those like crazy, they're like, okay.
0: <laughs> we all do this. Yeah.
1: But it's like I said, I work with the larvae. So I really, okay. I've only seen adults like a couple of times in my life. Like that's,
0: okay. I don't right. work
1: with the adults at all. I know people who do, but I don't. Um, so
0: the, wh- what, what studies are being done currently about these lamper? Are we trying to curb their population at all? Or are we trying to? Yes. So what, what efforts are being made for that?
1: So there's there's a lot of different different experiments going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the there I know a lot of different things.
0: <laughs> I can just see you like holding back. You're like, like, what do
1: I talk about? What do I not talk? There's so much. How can stuff. I be
0: professional about this right but now? But there's also
1: just like so much cool research. Like if you go up to Hammond Bay, which is like a big lamprey research center mm-hmm. in Michigan. They've got so much research going on with different kinds of pheromones and alarm cue. All right, um, and that's so that's all out of Michigan State's. So this is like my colleagues. Yeah, we sure. talk about this, um, and then I work on population assessment. So we're looking at you know lamprey numbers and streams. Mm-hmm. I'll and and Lar- what's
0: what is the plan? Is it are you trying to like relocate them, get them back to the Saint, or just
1: definitely not? Okay. We're just trying to get them out of the lake, so, so you, you
0: can't even like move them back to the Saint Lawrence River no. or anything, really. So,
1: so the thing is, is that they're now we don't, I guess there's not really much of an effort to move them out of the Great Lakes. It's mm-hmm. Mostly just eliminating them where they are. Okay, that's really what the management strategy so just, is focused on. I think at this point that those populations haven't been in contact for so long and they're in marine populations they're endangered so you have to be really careful with
0: so can't we can't really just get rid of them then
1: we can get rid of them here okay but you weren't so a lot of the projects that we do on invasive species we're still learning more about lamprey just Mm -hmm. in general so any of those like the studies that we do to develop control techniques can also be flipped to use for conservation techniques like in europe where they're not doing very well okay. since they, the British fish them almost out of existence for lamprey pie. So we can't get rid of them, uh, but the uh, the mercury content in the Great Lakes is so high that you actually can't eat sea lamprey from the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. So we can't, like, ship them to Britain.
0: They're, bas- they're now even just, like, such a useless fish that we can't, we can't sell them for food. We can't really reintroduce them to the world population because they're, they're different now. Yeah. So it's... How do you get rid of such a large population? So
1: for right now we mostly use lamprecide, <laughs> Which is literally a I'm having
0: flashbacks to like the 1960s Adam West Batman with just like the, the shark. shark spray. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> it actually is kind of that. It's it's a compound that's designed to be lamprey specific. Mm-hmm. It's not perfectly lamprey specific, okay. which is part of why we're looking for other methods mostly to use in conjunction so we can decrease how often we have to right. use lamperside cuz it is still a chemical. Um and
0: is I've I've come to understand putting chemicals in water can be a bad thing.
1: It can be. Yeah, this is one of those one of those things where at this point if we didn't use lamperside, mm-hmm. uh, we would have the problem that we had in the 1960s, which is that we had fish uh, to to use you know we actually had fish in the great lakes mm-hmm. and then in the 60s we, we didn't
0: because the lamprey because came the lamprey
1: in. killed them all it's a problem yeah so the 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 catches for fishermen in the great lakes in the 60s dropped to 2% of their former numbers after like about a decade after lamprey were introduced okay and you can you can look up like a graph of like lake trout numbers and lamprey numbers and, and I'm you sure watched the lamprey go up mm-hmm. and the lake trout crash at the exact same time I wonder if
0: there's a correlation there is. I was...
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. And so of the living fish, 85% of the fish caught had lamprey attack wounds.
0: Wow. So even the
1: ones that survived, all of them had been attacked, or the vast okay. majority of them had been attacked by lampreys. So it so. was just,
0: it was so invasive that, like, at a certain point, even the fish population were trying right. to figure out how to, like, escape yeah. to some so, degree. So we
1: have native lamprey, mm. but they're...
0: This is a completely different... this big. She's holding up two, for for our listeners.
1: For our listeners, they're about six inches to a foot there as adults. And lamprey are more like multiple feet.
0: Got it. Okay. And
1: they've, they've got, um, so basically when they make a wound, it's a lot bigger mm-hmm. and it's a lot more Which, detrimental it to
0: like those lamprey literally are going for the kill versus like the smaller native lamprey probably don't as much
1: well they they evolved to latch onto marine fish okay so if you've got a gigantic
0: right you
1: know six to ten foot fish out in the ocean there's a difference
0: between like a giant like a huge sturgeon or something or like a small little salmon.
1: Like, yeah. So it's the difference between, like, a salmon or a lake trout and then, like, a bluefin tuna. Right,
0: right. Like, that's
1: what we're... That's, so the the reason the lamprey are so big is because they attacked bigger fish. Mm-hmm. Evolutionarily speaking, and now they're here and they're attacking these small fish where their wounds have become deadly. Got it. Versus our native lamprey, they're, like... Small
0: enough that, like, it's it's not going to... Ki- it's, it's not necessarily a great thing, but it's not the problem that is. These... It's,
1: it's not lethal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... That's the big problem is that when a sea lamprey makes a wound, it's way more likely to be fatal to the okay. fish. And, um, so yeah, so since we had that giant crash in fish numbers, now there's a multi-million dollar annual control fund that's funded by the Great Lakes Fishery Commission. Mm-hmm. And one of their main objectives is sea lamprey control and assessment. Okay. So they, they fund a lot of research in the area including my research. <laughs> um but they're so they've also say been nice things. Yeah. I mean they they have been like a major force in right. developing this control and I, they fund a lot of you end up with crazy specialized research projects because they're willing to put so much money on. Right. I'm, this I'm sure
0: you, you don't go into any sort of like conservation efforts like this without expecting to like you kind of you know what you're getting into to yeah. some degrees.
1: Well, and then so they're they're just the controlling lamprey is so vital to the fishing industry in the Great Lakes that they're
0: willing to just give the money to keep those projects afloat. Right,
1: and and now that we're you know we we have this system of of barriers and sides that mm-hmm. was initially developed and has been working for a while. There's a big there's a there's a push to try to start implementing different control measures. Okay, that are things like like
0: how are, have those been working?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's there's different stuff. There's things like uh, pheromone traps. Mm-hmm. So instead of having a, um, a just like a regular trap, we they bait it with pheromone, mm-hmm. like mating pheromone. Okay. So the lamprey are more likely to go into the trap. So
0: it sort of it draws them in, and then you can mm-hmm. you collect the lamprey and remove them that way.
1: Right. And so they're also talking about pairing that with alarm cue. So there's some awesome videos on YouTube of this. Lamprey have a strong sense of smell. So an alarm cue is a chemical that they emit when they die.
0: Okay. So it's the smell of
1: dead lamprey. And oh, when they no. this
0: sounds dark.
1: Well, so when they when lamprey smell alarm cue, they freak out and start leaping out of the water to get away from the alarm cue. Like that'd it's be, a really extreme response. That'd be
0: terrifying. Yeah. And you guys just do this?
1: Well, it gets them away from places oh, where they're supposed to be. Oh boy. So basically it's it's a paired approach where you would trap them with the pheromones so they're they're more likely to go towards the positive scent and then you can put alarm cue... In places like mating, you don't want like mating habitat where they would actually like successfully breed, Got it. we put alarm cue there so they're like, "Oh my gosh, lamprey died here." Get we me can't, out! Of here.
0: Yeah, we can't do that.
1: But this, that's actually like the best habitat for them to spawn, so we can like pair those things. Okay, and then
0: so then hopefully that kind of keeps their numbers down naturally because they're less likely to mate. Yeah.
1: So that's like that's like a couple of like like some really cool research that's going on out of Hammond Bay and through okay. like with MSU students. Um,
0: just all the, all the different research is kind of being put into...
1: Yeah, there's there's several labs at MSU that all all work on lamprey. So like Wei Ming lab, they work on like pheromone and alarm cue. And Mike Wagner does a lot of... They do a lot of field experiments, again, with the pheromones, the alarm cue, mm. um, different kinds of behavioral studies as well.
0: Do you... Cool if, if you don't know the numbers offhand, that's fine. Do you know how much the population has, has been decreasing because of these efforts?
1: Um, that's a great question. We didn't um, we
0: didn't pull that information up before, unfortunately.
1: Uh, so, so the problem is I, I work on population assessments. So like one of the things that we know is that you actually can't get a number on how many adult lamprey oh, really? there are in the whole lake. Okay. So we just do an index of like how many streams.
0: Okay. And then we have
1: a control target for how many have, like how many lamprey are in those specific streams. Are
0: we hitting those targets then? Is that the right yes, question to we ask? We have okay.
1: been for a while. We've seen a slight increase in the last couple of years. That's concerning. All right. But we're not sure whether it's kind of a fluke or a pattern, and
0: or like, could they have found a new spot to be mating that you guys like? You guys haven't been able to track yet,
1: right? So one of the big problem, one of the big issues is that you can't lampreyside every stream because sure. it's expensive. So they kind of pri- they do have to do a lot of priority right. prioritization, which is another reason why they're looking for other methods. So it's like okay, okay, so here's all these streams where lamprey could be but it's really hard for us to get in there and apply lamprecyte in a way that's so, effective. So
0: some of these streams are just, their numbers can't help but go up because you're not able to get to these specifics. Yeah. All and so the, they,
1: okay. they do as much as they can and then they rotate different streams. So not everyone gets lamprecyte every year. Okay. At most they're getting it every four years. So
0: you're, you're trying to spread it out as much as you can, but.
1: Right. Cause it's, it would be, it would hurt other species mm-hmm. to do it every year. So they've, lamprey are larvae for more than one year mm-hmm. so you go through and do lamperside and kill them all so you're, you're and trying then they to reproduce for a few years and then you right, hit them before okay. they before any any of them transform to become adults it's,
0: it's almost like if you found eggs with face huggers on it in the aliens movies if you see the eggs you're trying to like cut that off as quickly as possible to prevent the them from giving birth to more face hugger lampreys
1: right so we we so we, we wait as long as we can mm-hmm. So basically it's like before they, they go through a metamorphosis period. So
0: you find like a new batch of eggs and you're like, we have a couple years where we don't, we don't need to necessarily put the side in right away.
1: Exactly. Okay. And so they have crews that go out and do different larval assessments and you look for lamprey that are a certain size. Mm-hmm because they have a, a certain size they get to, and then they so it, metamorphosize and become a problem. So if it
0: gets to that point, then you guys can say, okay, so this is a stream that actually yeah. does need, and you can call the people in to actually use Exactly. The, the, so right. they've
1: developed a lot of like good protocols to figure out how to minimize lamprey use. But even so, it'd be good to have some other methods sure. too. And, um, there's other stuff they're working on, like sterile male release, where they, okay. they take adult male lamprey and chemically sterilize Just, them. Yeah, snip, snip, And oh. then, I that's like a chemical. Yeah, that chemi- way chemically snip, snip. Yeah. And then they release them into the water because the males make nests to mate. So the hope is that female lamprey will lay their eggs at sterile male sites, and then they won't end up becoming larvae. Okay. Um... Right. That's another idea. It's one of so there's a lot of like developing ideas. I think mm-hmm. they they've been doing that for a few years in a couple of streams and it's promising so, as well. So
0: like a lot of things, kind of especially in conservation, there's just we're figuring things
1: out. Yes, it's just, it's the biggest thing in in lamprey and in most invasive species is trying to expand your toolbox when an invasive species is bad enough that we can't eradicate it anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's a A figure that we show a lot called an invasion curve Mm -hmm. so basically there's the time when the species is just introduced and when their population numbers are really low Mm -hmm. where you can get rid of them and that's the hope is that you get rid of them notice the population
0: early try and curb it so the population doesn't become a problem
1: right and then there's a flip that happens where there's enough uh, animals in there where reproduction is occurring there's widespread invasion and now it's about bringing their bringing their numbers down, mm-hmm. which is where we're at with lamprey. But there's other new invasive species. And there's also research going on to try to make um, like early detection stuff mm-hmm. so that hopefully we can find invasive species sure. earlier so we can get rid of them do, instead do of- Do these
0: protocols earlier so we don't have- honey. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you know about like these- What's been kind of popping up in the Great Lakes recently? What what do we have to worry about now?
1: Um so the the newest like big invasive species push that at least I am aware of in the last couple of years, I mean the in terms of like pop culture stuff, I feel like the Asian carp okay. has been the most talked about. Yeah, that's definitely the, popped
0: up on the news sites, especially around our place.
1: Yeah, but those aren't actually confirmed in the Great Lakes yet.
0: Okay. As, oh really?
1: As of this podcast. Okay. I don't think that they've crossed past Watch. that we're, Chicago barrier.
0: We're going to turn off recording and like wh- one know. of there's one of two news stories that's going to break. Yeah. One one more national that we won't say for the sake of. Time stamping this. That's that's going like we're going to log off and we're going to find out about that right away and be scared. Yeah. And then ten minutes after that, we're going to find out that Asian carpet confirmed in the Great Lakes.
1: I hope not. And that'll
0: affect only us while the rest of the world is freaking right. out about other stuff. So,
1: so a couple of years ago, there was a, a new invasive species that we were really worried about mm-hmm. for a long time that did arrive and has now become way more widespread in our state, and that's the red swamp crayfish. Okay. So there's. Are are those
0: popping up in our lakes still or where are they? Oh, yeah. They're
1: spreading very rapidly because it turns out they can just walk to the next lake.
0: Hold on. What do you mean? Like on water?
1: No, like on land. Like they just, they just, they can walk to the next one. So there's a lot of them. They actually spread through golf courses a lot of the times. They have those small ponds.
0: Oh. So they find them
1: in those like little ponds in the golf courses and they use that to like hop lakes. So yet
0: another reason we should just get rid of golf courses. Sorry dad.
1: Uh, yeah, so we found inv- we found the red swamp crayfish. Mm-hmm. The only reason I say we instead of other cool science, I didn't find them personally.
0: You didn't go to a um, golf course and start searching for small little crayfish in their pond?
1: I I actually did get to go out in the field the week they found red swamp crayfish. It was my Ooh. first day out in the field ever.
0: Whoa.
1: Um, it was like a big giant red siren went off at our work when they found the crayfish. <laughs> so they found him up in this, at Sunset Lake.
0: We actually found something. Yes. We actually found something. <laughs> and then
1: I think maybe two days later they found them in Novi which is on the opposite side of the state. And so I'm so sure then that it was like if there out. weren't sirens going off there were now. Oh shit it's bad. Oh shit and it's so bad. And so I came into work one day mm-hmm. and uh, my boss at the time he walked in I thought I was going to be doing computer work all day and he was like Ellie you're going to Sunset Lake. Do you have waiters? And I was like I do not. And he was like okay here's all of your stuff for field work. I, you're going to borrow uh, our PI's waiters For some context my PI is 6 foot 4. <laughs> <laughs>
0: For context for our listeners, Ellie is not.
1: <laughs> I am not. Those were very big, and so he also lent me his wife's waiter boots.
0: Well, that's nice of that. I hope those were more. And of your those size. were
1: actually my size. Good.
0: There we go. Um,
1: so I went environmental DNA sampling. Um,
0: <laughs> for the with, first the, time. with the DNR,
1: and I had never been out in the field before, and I was so scared. What
0: was this new um, kid? Waiter's looking a little big. <laughs>
1: It was, it was immediate panic. It was like, I came out there and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is going to be a mess. Did I, they,
0: I guess this is only sort of, did they tell you you were looking for crayfish? Did oh, yeah. You, okay. was, so you, I was
1: briefed on everything that was happening and I, I got there. Did you know there. what to look for? Yeah.
0: Did you find anything? Oh, yes. what you find?
1: A lot of crayfish. <laughs> a, a terrifying amount of crayfish considering we just found out about them two days ago.
0: Were, were they like, were they crawling out yet? Or like, did you see any of them on land or did you so, only...
1: what happened we got there and there were already there was we got derailed by news crews like a bunch of times that all wanted to talk to so the dnr guy that i was working with is very official Mm -hmm. um and so they all wanted to interview him and like see the crayfish sure sure so they kept wanting to go out on the boat with us so that they could see the crayfish
0: but you guys hadn't actually gone out to see the crayfish yourself yeah
1: so because i couldn't do my edna work with a camera crew in there because I, I didn't fit so i was just sitting there on the shore waiting for the news crews to come
0: back hey so i'm an I could actual scientist can, we, can oh. we maybe not worry about the media stuff and yeah. just let me do my goddamn job
1: well so it was definitely not the dnr guy's fault they were like sure. we're gonna stand here on the right, shore and right. film you guys till you take us out on the boat and seth was like fine you can come out on the boat <laughs>
0: Just sort of hands were tied at that point. Yeah. But right. I mean,
1: it was good because at that point, they really needed to get the word out about the crayfish. Sure. So it was like, it was one of those things that absolutely needed to yeah. happen. But I was also just standing there with my little box of supplies. Yeah. Can and I was we like,
0: wait for me to do my job first?
1: I was just, I kind of felt useless more than anything sure. else. I was like, hmm, okay, that's cool. That's cool. I'll just sit here. And there was this, uh, I was, we had just gotten started. It was before any of the news crews got mm-hmm. there. This little boy comes running up to us and he goes, are you the crayfish people? <laughs> Because they had put signs <laughs> all over town about the crayfish. And I was like, he came up to me because, like, Seth was doing, like, official stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, I'm a crayfish person. And, she, and he was like, are these the crayfish? And he holds, he passes me a bucket of ten of them.
0: Wow. And I was like, ah. Those are crayfish.
1: <laughs> yep. Yes, kid. Those are the crayfish. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I go and get Seth and I'm like, these are the crayfish, right? And he was just like fuck. Were they, were they um, just like
0: super big or is just that he was able to get so many?
1: It was that because they, they only knew there was a confirmed sighting of one of them
0: okay. two oh. days before
1: and this kid was like me and my friends catch these on the lake every day and it was like Oh,
0: crap! So it was like, immediately you're like, this is way worse than we thought.
1: Yeah, so this was not an early detection thing. Yay, we got it on mm-hmm. the ground floor. It's like, oh, we're screwed.
0: They're here. There's nothing we can do about it. Let's, yes. Okay. Yeah,
1: and so this this kid comes up with this giant bucket, and it's like, oh, crap. I
0: like how for him, it was like, just an everyday, this is what we do. And for you guys, it was like, oh, this is the worst possible yes. scenario yeah
1: so the the person i was working with he looks at him and he goes okay if you see any more of these i want you to take take your foot and stomp them on the head wow. <laughs> Just like, and, and the kid was like okay yeah. <laughs> he did come He's back
0: traumatizing him well
1: it was one of those things where it's like actually sure. technically yes that's probably what you should do with those but i was kind of like okay you're right this is a much bigger problem than i thought it was wow <laughs> Yeah, the kid was super cute though. He caught more crayfish by the end of the day. He came in and I was brought us say, more. You
0: gotta like recruit that kid. He's clearly well, he in did, it. He
1: did a great job, and the 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 local paper interviewed him. Perfect. Oh, that's she, really sweet. She came up to me and like wanted to talk to me, and I was mm. like, "That's a mistake." No, no, no. Oh, and you I was want, like, this I was, like the little tiny kid fishing over there, he caught like 10 crayfish today. Like, go talk to him yeah. about the crayfish. He'll be so excited about it. It'll be super cute, you know? Aww. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. Like, and then, you know, like his parents will get the local paper. Right. Like, he'll, they took his picture of with course, like a little yeah. fish. It was so no, cute. No, I
0: mean, like the one time the, the newspaper took a picture in my classroom, my parents had that thing like framed on the do- the fridge forever. And I was like, I literally did nothing they happened to pick my picture yes <laughs> but thank you
1: i feel bad that this just turned into me talking about my, my research I mean, stories but well, it's
0: it's related and that was kind of why I, this is why i wanted to keep pressing since you had like the field experience in this especially so
1: yeah is... i mean it's it's one of those things where it's like good and i feel like everyone needs to kind of to know how these mm-hmm. invasion curves work 'Cause when you hear about it in the news, that's usually when you're in that
0: right. hey, this
1: is new, this is the when we need the public's help more than ever. Right. Uh, to try to keep from spreading this stuff. And that's why you see those like the, the campaigns to like clean people's boats and stuff. That's to keep all, all kinds of invasive right. species from from hopping lakes via boats and makes sense. So it's like it's in, it's important. I feel like for right. everybody to know about. Ra- it. Okay,
0: raise awareness because like, like a lot of things, there is stuff we can kind of do on an individual level. Yeah, that... we got
1: we got way into the weeds and the sea lamprey stuff. Right, um, but I feel like the overall message of invasive species is that once they're here, mm. dealing with them is really complicated. So it takes several labs at Michigan right. State plus multiple research centers. I just mentioned the stuff that I'm connected yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And like that is like a drop in the bucket of like all of the amazing researchers that mm-hmm. are doing like research on Lamprey. Like there's so much you can look up um, to okay. see like everything that's going on. Like, I, saying,
0: I, I think it's a testament to like the, the the crayfish situation especially where it's like these scientists who that might not necessarily be their main field of focus they have to sort of go into these all-hands-on-deck moments sometimes mm-hmm. just when, like, there's a discovery of a population that's growing out of control. And I that clearly doesn't get reported on yeah. a lot, or at least it isn't widely known or widely explained to the general public yeah. how much work goes into, like, trying to keep... They, like, if lamprey or crayfish exploded in something like the Great Lakes especially, like, that that messes so much, like, just... All the trading, all the different like fishing and stuff we Mm -hmm. already do as a state, like everything gets screwed up in ways that most people just don't think about.
1: Right, and we have several native crayfish species, a couple of which are either threatened or endangered. Mm -hmm. And so having, we already have an invasive crayfish that is widespread throughout the Great Lakes and is a big problem. So having top of that another one, we're now you know they're worried about those native populations Mm. too, and it's just invasive species become really complicated really quickly and it's good that there's a lot of people to work on them because like it's not a single person problem like it requires um, lakes of people to work (laughs) on this stuff just to try to get the tools that we need to you know keep our environment Mm -hmm. safe and it's like really a testament to not just like the scientists that are doing all the research, but like managers that are Definitely. willing to take all that research and implement it into their systems. Well,
0: even to, to tie back to, to a previous episode, it things like crayfish and lamprey, they're not like, you know, to, to kind of use the term, they're not like sexy animals or anything. They're not, they're going to be pulling in all that massive amounts of funding, even though it's clearly like a really important spot that we need to be focusing on. Yeah. But you, I we mean, need these organizations that you've been talking about to make sure that there's funding in place to prevent like the the populations from spiking.
1: Yeah, I will say that some of these we fall into kind of the same pitfalls where there's a couple of big banner species mm-hmm. like lamprey, like the crayfish, where it's like, ooh, these are our so, new big focus now. But there's good. almost
0: so so we're even we're a part of this where we're ignoring some of the other the other animals and other populations.
1: Yeah, because you know one is more immediately detrimental mm-hmm. to a certain industry, and that industry has the ability to. You know, create these agencies right. to. And They have enough networking connections, like so, the fisheries industry in the Great Lakes. If something threatens ask. that industry, right. that's where the money's going to go. So, which so makes most sense. of these
0: organizations, at least in the state of Michigan, or the ones you're part of, they're coming from these like these fishery communities and stuff. It sounds like
1: so they're not usually directed fun directly funded but, by. But like just the idea of when in, it comes to the to Great, great protect, Lakes, like yeah. think about our industries. Yeah, like when it, if we have.
0: Fishing, trade, all the stuff that kind of comes yeah, with that. Or
1: even even tourism. Definitely, yes. Like you think about stuff like zebra mussels and right. quagga mussels as they started to invade our smaller lakes. You don't think people are going to show up to tourism. lakes that are
0: flooded with crawfish? That
1: worry, little boy was excited. I worry more about the zebra mussels and the quagga mussels that cut right. people's feet. That, that's okay. Like I remember that as a kid, I my cousin like got mm. cut by a zebra mussel when we were really,
0: really little. That's one of those we've curbed down though, right? I thought... At least in Michigan, we've gotten better about the zebra mussels, or is that still a problem too?
1: It's still a problem as okay. well, but it's again one of those things where it's we've another
0: kind of curved it, but not as much no. as we should have. Not even.
1: Um, they're getting it's again complicated. Complicated management issue. It's not something that I necessarily work on, so mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of like the details off right. the top of my head for how well they're doing. But I do know that I've seen some recent research that's not great news. Okay. But the biggest thing is that also there's now another muscles so we didn't necessarily we didn't we definitely didn't eradicate the zebra mm-hmm. mussels, and i think that i don't i can't even think of like i don't know enough about the control methods to, okay. to really talk about those but i do well, the, what i do know about them is that there's now two all
0: right and
1: they're almost like competing with each other to see who's gonna take over the great lakes more so that's not good Okay. I can tell you that it's not a problem that has gone away.
0: Is this like an alien v. predator situation where if no matter who wins, we all lose? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Well, that's a real bummer.
1: Yeah, it's not It's not good either way having those and um, they're looking into whether they're going to start hybridizing and create a zebra quagga muscle. Oh, so God. that would be not great. Um, <laughs> there's also some concern about that too. Boy.
0: Just when you didn't, th- when you thought things couldn't get any worse.
1: Well, so there's also New Zealand mud snails, which are in the same...
0: Wait, I thought in one of our last episodes we liked snails. Are we anti-snails now? We don't
1: like the New Zealand mud snails because they're also invasive. Okay. How did they <laughs> get here, do you know? Probably the same way the zebra mussels and the quagga mussels got here. <laughs> so the, in, the, part of the thing is that the Great Lakes are this huge system mm-hmm. where there's tons of trade and tons of movement both through tourism and trade and just yeah. there's so, a lot of people and here so we're,
0: it's we're clearly learning it's hard to keep track of species that like, are able to travel these great distances
1: yeah it's hard to keep invasive species from coming in right and so the trick is to find them early and eradicate them before they come, become a problem and that's a really hard thing it to like, do you, can, on you its can't own predict it sounds like because that little kid didn't know right. that that was something that he needed to report
0: right it, for him
1: it, it was Oh, my friends and I go and catch the crayfish by the river, not realizing that he had found a new invasive species right. in the system. Like, Expe- that's crazy. Yeah,
0: especially for, like, a young kid like that, where that probably was kind of the norm, or it's just, like, he wasn't old enough to think anything of it. But you, you need people who are able to recognize those problems early, and, I mean, it sounds like we don't have the resources to notice the problems early sounds like we have a lot of resources to for the most part try and cut things off yeah. well, when it's a problem.
1: There's been a there's been a push in especially in recent years to start media campaigns mm-hmm. before the species get here like the Asian carp. Mm-hmm. It's like, "Hey, they're coming. Keep an eye out Got for it. them." And part of the reason why they haven't Invaded is because people were like, "Oh, we don't want that." So it worked.
0: It, we were exactly. able to do exactly. Exactly,
1: and so they started doing it. They've started. They started doing a, a little bit for the red swamp crayfish. Like they banned mm-hmm. bringing them up here. Okay. Because they people would would buy them from like Louisiana and stuff, and they would get them shipped up here for crawfish boils.
0: Uh, oh, so then it almost became like the, the old myth about the alligators in New York where we just started, we had too many crayfish and we were just sort of dumping them.
1: Yeah. So was okay. like they had extra crayfish or they or like, got they, too big or whatever. They got live crayfish. Mm. And so maybe one of them would walk away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I keep these, forgetting they're just Since walking. these guys
1: can just walk.
0: I keep forgetting that part of the story, which is terrifying. Yeah.
1: They walk, they burrow, they'll eat anything.
0: How, how far can they travel? Do we know that?
1: Couple miles
0: okay oh so, so it's not like they aren't necessarily crossing over the state yet
1: it's no but they'll, but they'll walk a couple of miles okay. to the a next pond or it. the next lake
0: and then, then, and then, then that can keep going. they'll
1: reproduce and then if that next generation it, yeah well again they can all walk a couple of miles and
0: especially if they make it into a river that eventually like tributes into a larger body of water and then that's where we get yeah
1: we so at. basically they just they slowly spread and that's how most invasive species are is mm-hmm. they get introduced in one place and then they slowly spread across either through human transport or just, you know, if it's an invasive fish, once they get there, you know, fish can fish. Yeah, exactly. They just they swim. So and... it's,
0: I mean, is there much else we can really do? As I, I feel like we're kind of near the end of the conversation on this. Is, what, is there a lesson? We were sort of talking off mic whether or not there was any big poetic lesson to be learned or. I
1: mean, I think the big poetic lesson is that biology and, and management are immensely complicated <laughs> <laughs> and that any any kind of large ecological mm-hmm. issue is going to have a bunch of different solutions and people are going to argue over which solution right. is the best and ultimately it usually is a combination of a bunch of different things and that it usually requires that all hands on deck not just from a scientist perspective but for everybody like yes. citizen science is becoming more prevalent for a reason it's because like there's a lot that everybody can do like they can keep a lookout for those crayfish so if we do a campaign in schools about these crayfish Mm -hmm. little kids that go running around to the lakes are more likely maybe they're even more likely to find these things because you know the the dnr can't put traps in every single lake ever but if you have enough kids but there are people living at every Mm -hmm. single lake and you can have old retired communities there's like a whole push for citizen science Mm -hmm. where they uh people will take water samples and do different tests on them to learn about the health of their nice. lake. And like it's a lot It's a really of,
0: ideal like almost Star like, Trekky world.
1: Well, a lot of like retired grandparents mm-hmm. go with their grandkids on the boat and now right. they're teaching their grandkids about science. Oh, that's neat. Okay. And that's like so cool. Yeah. Like so I feel like there's a, a push to do more of that and get like communities involved in science and in the health of their environment. And I think that that's so maybe that's the big lesson. Is
0: it needs to be especially for something like invasive species, where it can be a community issue. It almost behooves the community to be involved and be informed yeah. in some ways. I think
1: it's. I think it's a great local issue that people can get in, okay. involved in because, especially in our area, where there's so many right. small lakes. And all of them are probably plagued by some kind of invasive species, whether it's a fish, Mm -hmm. a crayfish, or a plant of some kind. Like everyone has some kind of issue on their lake that they can connect to. So I think this is a really good issue for people to connect to and start learning about the science and learn about the scientific process and the Mm -hmm. complexities of that. Like I think this is a great issue for everyone to kind of take some time to research and get involved in. Cool.
0: Well, we found a lesson after all. How about that? There (laughs) you
1: go. Lesson is science is cool, kids. Mm -hmm. Um.
0: And I guess with that, we're, we're just going to have to call this an episode. Yeah. An Everyday Dissection is hosted by Nick Lemmer on Twitter at Lemmer underscore Nick and Ellie Weiss on Twitter at Aleel Ellie. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Edisect and, and on our website, edisect.podbean.com. Our theme music was written by Evan Zobel And our art was created by Madeline Hendrickson, who you can find on Instagram at art underscore that underscore is underscore no underscore bueno. Like our podcast, please leave a review and don't forget to like and subscribe. And today's science fun fact at the end of the episode is the easiest way to remove a lamprey stuck to your head is to tickle its belly.